All right, we are into like the third week of March, and I am here with Johnny Fry doing the Digital Bytes podcast. And I got to tell you, I don't know if it's because you're in Australia or if the weather's changing over here. Maybe I'm just high, but this technology is a mess. I can't record. I can't hear. You sound like crap. And then when you sound great, I sound like crap. I, I, I'm blaming like the Pacific Ocean. I don't know what you mean, mate. It's, um, it's a real beaut here in Sydney today. You don't and, even uh, sound right. You're not Johnny. I've completely lost that, that pommy accent and got one of these funny Aussie twangs. I think it must be something in the beer. In the beer? Yeah, my dear boy, I can't keep that up the whole time. It's just going to do my throat in. But what was a little bit disappointing is that I've come over here. It's now warmer and sunnier in Blighty, back in London, than it is in Sydney. <laughs> Went for a swim in the sea. And all the muck and crap that got washed down the streets into the Emerald Bay. All the locals are saying it looks filthy. Well, to me, the bay looked fantastic. But then my benchmark is old Father Thames in London, which is always muddy. But I managed to pick up a funny cold. Well, not funny cold. People have been miserable. But, but there you go. So in Australia, seeing, seeing my daughter um, and doing presentations in Sydney and next week down to Melbourne. And yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in the sort of, digital space which we'll i know we'll come on to um in this week's digital bites so w- welcome everyone listening and james good to be back on the air with yourself well it, it sounds like a plan just don't give me whatever it is that you've got i mean you go down there you got those bears running around with the sexually transmitted diseases and now you're drinking the the water i, I don't know i don't know you, you i'm not happy you're sick maybe you oh, stay over I, there it's, yeah, look, they've got birds called kookaburras that sound more like monkeys when they don't sound like a bird, it does sound like a monkey laughing. So, um, but a beautiful country and some, yeah, some really lovely people. And we are really, really love it. Really, really been, really been good fun, but not happy about the weather. Can't believe it. I thought it was meant to be the land of sunshine, but um, and, there you go. And, bl- and Blighty is now the paradise <laughs> and you're not there. Yeah, Blighty. Do you know they put out a weather warning in London yesterday? Um, it's the today is um, I'm calling you on the 24th of March. So on the 23rd of March, the mayor of London put out a weather warning um, saying, please don't use your car unless you have to, because the air pollution in London is the worst it's been since the summer 2020. Everything we've got all our European friends have been blowing a load of smoky stuff over to the UK. And um, on top of the normal nonsense and poor pollution in London, everyone was going around like the big smog again. This is why we need more electric vehicles. I did not do it. It's not my fault. Your blooming electric car. I, you love it. I hold no value in the destruction of London or the UK. I might have to call you James Musk. James Musk. I can, elephant man. Could you imagine how rich I would be if I was like his stepson? That's true. That's true. Imagine how disappointed he'd be that if you were his, his, <laughs> his <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> I don't mean to. I don't I get the Tesla plant. I get the old Model 3. Yeah. He'd probably, he'd probably put you up on one of his rockets. Right, like the Umbrella Academy. I'd be the one he sends out to outer space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, oh. listen we got <laughs> so bigger problems, we... right? We got, we got the, is the invasion of Ukraine still going on? Because the, one of your articles right now is about a case for the neutra- neutrality of technology. And, I, and, I, and I'm assuming that means... Blockchain is supposed to be for everybody. Yep. Well, it's 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 interesting, you know. We, we've obviously, you know, what, what's going on in Ukraine. Very interesting when you come away from your home base 
and listen to overseas radio stations and listen to what other countries and their take on, you know, from, from a sort of UK perspective. And I think very much from a European perspective, what's happening in Ukraine really brings back so many memories, certainly for older people of, um, you know, World War One and World War Two. I think, I think most people thought it would never happen again, a, you know, soldiers marching on civilians and some of the slaughtering that's going on. It's just, just horrific. But other countries are looking at it and very much saying, well, it doesn't really impact on us and therefore we're going to get on with what we're doing and um, what will be will be. Um, and, you know, we're not here to make a political statement, rightly or wrongly, but, you know, at the end of the day, surely if, um, you know, sovereign states need to be protected and recognised. Um, but the reason we've written about this, it really getting us thinking about the use of blockchain technology and digital assets and, and how does that impact on society? Because at one level, um, you're seeing many, many countries in, in, in Europe um, and in Asia talking about their, their defence of their national boundaries and having to reinforce and start spending more. You know, Germany is a classic example. They've now recommitted to spending 2% of their GDP on um, defence, something which, to be fair, you know, the Americans have been saying, you know, NATO members, that's what you should be doing. Um, Pakistan, India... Um, both talking about this and saying we need to increase the spending. We've seen here in Australia the same sort of thing. And so almost going back to a fiefdom-type status, whereby we've got to protect the walls of the castle. Yet the antithesis of that is, is what's happening in the, in the technology space. And people are talking about the metaverse. Um, and they're t- saying how Ukraine in particular, quite ironic really, has been one of the powerhouses <coughs> of um, development with cryptographic technology and a number of blockchain developers um, have been based out of the Ukraine. And we're seeing how um, Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Transformation, which was only established back in um, 2020, has been really tasked with the advancement of their industry. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to use those skills with, with you know, if, if, if it is such appropriate terminology, sort of good hackers and bad hackers or, you know, with cybercrime. So you're doing cybercrime for good. Perhaps you, you know, want to stop someone doing something against your country, um, maybe tapping into, you know, what are your military plans or whatever. But we're also seeing how um, in the case of um, Ukraine at the moment, many, many donations and money is being sent um, to Ukraine to, to help them, um, you know, basically get provisions and supplies and support themselves. So in the same way that we've seen um, digital assets, cryptocurrencies, often often decried and seen as something which is being used for nefarious activities. We've seen in the past when there's been natural disasters, people making donations, you know, almost instantaneously from all over the world to people using their digital wallets. The same thing has happened now um, recently in Ukraine, where we've seen money being pledged to them um, to actually help um, sort of support them. And then the other angle which we've been looking at is that obviously um, there's been a lot of talk about sanctions. Um, in the headlines, it's been very much about, well, you know, because of the potential sanctions and because basically, um, you know, Europe in particular can have to start looking for alternative sources um, of petrochemicals. That's really raised the price of fuel, um, you know, gas, petrol, whatever, um, and that's had a big impact. And we saw yesterday in the UK, the highest rate of inflation for over 30 years being announced. And so you see all this pressure around 
petrochemicals. But behind the scenes, as we've talked before, you've seen all the pressure around commodities and the, the price of wheat and corn and nickel, all, all increasing sub- substantially in the last few weeks. But with these sanctions, people are saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, maybe one of the ways to get around these sanctions is to use digital assets. Um, and we see the US in particular, again, talking about we need to get a much better understanding of how do these digital assets move around? Because if we're going to impose sanctions on, say, the dollar, well, is that going to be completely ineffectual if all people are going to do is use things like Ethereum, Bitcoin, Ripple or whatever as a way to get around these sanctions and, and transfer and move monies around? So uh, at one level, you think, well, what's Russia and Ukraine got to do with this sector? But you can see very much it's a it's a melting pot. But it's almost like a it's a laboratory of experimentation in the digital field where you can see it's being played out at quite a tussle um, in, and how can you use the technology and how can you use digital assets? Um, and as that expression, you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's um, terrorist. So again, I, I do stress, we're not trying to make a political statement of right or wrong, but we're simply saying it's bringing very much the fore these technologies and these assets and how they're being used in different ways by different factions. To dumb this down, and, and with the utmost respect, you know, for all intents and purposes, if we, were, if we were to dumb this down to me explaining to my 21-year-old son yep. the change here. For years, we, when we issue a sanction, right, it, that sanction could be financial, it could be logistics, right? Uh, yep. It could be cautionary. So, you know, we're not going to buy any more oil from Russia, as, as yep. the United States might say that. And that would be deemed a sanction, right? And then, or in this real life scenario, I believe we tried taking away, and I'm using the word tried because of this, we tried taking away access to SWIFT, which yep. is an electronic form of wiring financial transactions, right? With fiat. Well, it, it, yeah, it was. Right. SWIFT, is a, SWIFT is actually a communication. It's the way the banks communicate. And so if the banks can't communicate, um, then right. they, they won't transfer money. So it's, it's, SWIFT isn't actually a tr- form of transfer of money. It's a way to confirm that money has been transferred. And it, it comes actually on to one of the other articles, which we'll come on to in a minute. And it's called the Herstat risk. Um, and and it, this is all about making sure you can't spend the money twice. So if there's no form of communication, if I haven't told you I've already given my $10 to your next door neighbor and I give it to you at the same time, then in theory, I can spend that $10 twice. So SWIFT is all about making sure you can't spend the money twice. And by, as you say, by imposing that sanction, um, it can be a very effective way. But, but, but SWIFT isn't an American thing. It's actually obviously based in Belgium and it's used by all the international or most of the international banks. And it's, if you're not part of SWIFT, it makes moving money around the world really, really difficult. Right. The, the, I mean, very rarely am I accepting money from, from overseas, but I know it's my, it has to be SWIFT compatible, you know, to the yeah. extent of my knowledge. Yes. Yeah. And, but where I was going was 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have heard a, a leader of a major nation, so that Putin in Russia, would, could, in theory, he would say, that's fine. You could cut me off. I'll just use Bitcoin. Right? And then you have the argument about doing good and doing bad and who's right and who's wrong. And Bitcoin allows this. Bitcoin, Bitcoin prevents this. It's, do we just leave it well enough alone? Because technology should be neutral, right? 
Well, I think that's the point about the article, really. Um, you know, it's, governments are very reluctant, partially because it's quite difficult, I believe, to regulate technology. So, you know, actually the regulation of the technology is it's it's very, very difficult to do. And governments don't like don't like they don't come out of rules and say you can't use this. You can't use AI or you can't use blockchain or you can't use, you know, a particular type of technology. But it's what you can do with the technology, which becomes the, you know, the the potentially scary thing to do. And so as as we finished off the article, you know, it's worth remembering technologies in is a tool in the hands of the wielder. It's not bad or good. It's just technology. And you can use technology um, for good things. Um, you know, you can use drugs, for example. You know, a num- number of the drugs that people abuse have been developed for the medical industry to help save lives and to remove pain. But used in the wrong hands in the wrong way, well, drugs can destroy lives and, you know, wreak untold damage. And it's similar with, in a, in a, in a similar sense, with with, with with digital assets, um, in theory, um, you can use digital assets to avoid tax, to pay for extortion and bits and pieces like that. But what people initially don't understand is that with a digital asset, as we've said time and time again, it leaves a digital footprint. So, yes, I can understand certain governments worried that, look, we've imposed a sanction on um, North Korea or on, in this case, Russia at the moment. They can't do this, that and the other. Um, oh, but what happens if they start, you know, using um, digital currencies, using Bitcoins? That's the, you know, that's still the big daddy. It still accounts for 40% of the crypto market. Surely this is going to be a way they can get around the sanctions. Therefore, it makes it actually less effective that we say we've banned you from SWIFT because now you can use something different. But so on that... So we don't regulate the... We don't regulate the transportation or the means, but we maybe we regulate the custody. Right. It's the hands of who's it's in is what can make that decision ultimately. Yeah, it's a bit like you, you don't you don't ban airplanes and cars and trucks. Yet there's a hell of a lot of cocaine gets moved around the world on, on in vehicles. Right. In, in, keeping it really, really simple. Sure. But, but, but what is what is interesting is uh, uh, well, it's of interest if you if you've got some. And I, I have to declare an interest. I own a very small number of XRP um, uh, Ripple. Um, and the reason for that is that I think that uh, they will be successful with their bout with the SEC. Um, but Ripple um, actually has performed quite well in the last couple of weeks. And Ripple is an alternative to Swift um, in terms of it's a, a messaging system. Um, but not only have they got a messaging system, which is alternative to Swift, which is a technology which bakes, goes back to um, actually goes back to 1974, which is the, um, the year of our theme tune for this week, The Entertainer. Well, that was released in 74, wasn't it? From good old Billy Joel. The Entertainer by Billy Joel. Yeah, so there you go. Um, Part of the Billy Joel experience. algorithm, right? <clears throat> Your algorithm, yeah. So, but that was a technology. Swift was a technology. It's been around now for, you know, for quite a while. So it's only natural that we'd see a success. Now, whether um, XRP, Ripple becomes that success or not, but you've seen interest in that. Maybe people are looking and say, well, okay, you know, is it is it again? Is it right that people, organisations, can stop you doing certain things? You know, our sanctions ultimately impact mainly on the men and women of this. You know, in the street rather than you know the the the, the very small controllers and um, governments because you know they've already got themselves well sorted out. So actually, it come back. It comes back to that the, the small guys tend to lose out first rather than the 
people that are creating the problems and frictions. So if you have decentralized systems, decentralized technology, decentralized storage, then it's open to less manipulation by one-off individuals. And, and, and that, that really goes on to this other article that we put in here, talking about why digital asset revolution also needs a complete rethink, a revolution in the way that you store and look after your assets. And um, we had an article written by um, a company called Custodex, um, and they specialize in, in storing of digital assets. And it was, it was more looking at this whole concept of where your money is held and how it's held, because this impacts all, nearly all your listeners. Any listener that actually has money in a pension fund or a mutual fund um, or held in a savings account, there will almost inevitably be not just the asset manager or the bank that looks after your money, but behind them, there'll be a custodian. There'll be someone that actually looks after money on behalf of the asset manager. And these custodians charge a fee. They don't do it for love. They charge a fee. But it's, you know, as we start seeing more and more of our shares and our debt and our commodities being digitized, then what we're going to see is the need for different types of custody, different ways of holding our assets. So something that started out very, you know, fringe, I, I want to send money um, I want to send value without using a bank, which was kind of Bitcoin's initial raison d'etre. Now we're seeing that technology seeping into all parts of our lives, which we don't even know about. We, we don't have conversations with, you know, your next door neighbors. Like, oh, did you say I'm using Lotus Notes and not Excel spreadsheets? And, and similarly, we, you know, we, we're not going to see people, I believe, having conversations about are you using proof of stake or proof of works blockchain. You know, you'll use the blockchain that's relevant for, the use case and you you won't even realize what type of blockchain or you won't even realize you're using blockchain um, as a technology as it seeps into our everyday lives and that seems to be what's happening i think a, a good example of that is probably docusign right <clears throat> Everybody, everybody's docusigned something uh meanwhile they're creating all of this everything's done in the background with smart contracts on the ethereum network but to this very day i mean my 75 year old mother just docusigned something the other day so yeah 10 years from now it's just going to be a brand name. Like we used to call the refrigerators a Frigidaire or you well, copy well, something as a Xerox. A vacuum cleaner as a Hoover. Kirby. Yeah. yeah. Kirby. But, um, and, and, and to give you some substance to that, um, you know, this is literally out um, this, this morning um, in, in the US, in, in Australia. Um, one, of, one of the biggest banks in Australia, ANZ, um, is going to be the first bank to mint, create, issue, an Australian bank stable point. Um, and banks are, are realizing that they need an alternative um, to just having fiat because you can then start using those things, those smart contracts that you referred to. Now, is this, um, a, CB, is this a CBDC or is this no, Australia doing something? This is, no, this is, this is a, a, a commercial bank issuing its own stable coin backed by Australian dollars. It's not the Australian government. Not on behalf not, of, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a bit... It's a bit like a version of USDC, US dollar um, circle. I got you. So backed 100% by US dollars, sorry, not US dollars, Australian dollars. And so then they'll be able to use it to, to make pay rent, to pay dividends, um, you know, to do any, anything that they really want to do on, on an ongoing basis. And we did announce over here this past week, I think we announced this often, but this past week, it was said out loud on TV 
mainstream media, if you will. You know, Biden is saying that we need to look into a United States-backed digital dollar. Yep. Now, for the, for the masses, that just sounds like PayPal to them. And, and it probably will, right? That's all it'll always ever be for, like, my grandparents. But they're talking about that's, that's the entry of crypto in the United States. Do you think they would choose just one bank to do it for them? Or do you think they run with it? I, I, well, look, look as, as you become a bit of an old fart and you get older and older, you just keep going back to history. And uh, apologies for regular listeners, but we, we talked about this a couple of months ago. Back in 1863, I think it was, before the Fed was established, in the USA, you had 5,000 different issues of US dollars. Right. And I, I could see a situation whereby we have um, many different people issuing stable coins backed by US dollars, but they're issued by maybe, you know, the various different tech companies. I know Apple have said they won't do it. I know Facebook have recently pulled out um, and no longer going to have the Libra. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see some big multinational companies coming out with a their own form of payment transfer because they're saying, well, it's just faster and cheaper. Now, at the moment, the problem with stable coins is, is that, that you don't make any money out of stable coins because there's no interest. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we've seen inflation in the UK now, um, highest in over 30 years. We've got inflation in the USA, highest it's been in nearly 40 years. Given the problems in Ukraine and Russia, um, there's a very, very strong possibility we could see double-digit inflation within the next 18 months. If that's the case, we could easily see interest rates you know, up from minus in- interest. That's what you get in Europe at the moment. So if you put your money in the bank, you actually have to pay the bank to look after it in effect. We could see interest rates up to 3 4 5% easily. Now, if you're running a stable coin and you keep um, 1% or 2% of the interest, then pay the other 2 or 3% to the people that own the stable coin. Now you're making a good return by it being the issue of a stable coin. So you can see how it becomes attractive. And if it's backed 100% by cash, as opposed to putting your money on deposit with the bank and then the bank lends it out to who they want to, if the bank goes bust and it's backed 100% by cash, your stable coin is safe. If the bank goes bust and it's on a bank deposit, then your cash is at risk. So when Shearson Lehman went bust, people lost money. Corporate lost money. Right. Now, if we have another banking crisis, will the governments stand behind the banks again? And we, we saw this, the whole financial system back in again, sorry, 74, we, with the Herstat risk, a German bank that we talk about in this week's Digital Bytes, whereby effectively they allowed potentially money to have been spent twice. And it brought down, almost brought down the whole of the foreign exchange market in 1974. And bankers that are listening to this will know it's referred to as the Herstat risk. Now, we had a similar crisis in 2008, where basically people didn't believe they were going to get their money. So when Citibank gave the money to Lloyds in London, or HSBC gave it to Deutsche Mark in Germany, they weren't sure they were going to be settled. And so government stepped in to save the day and said, don't worry, we'll be the lender of last resort and we'll support you. Well, if we see another financial crisis, will government do it again? So the money in the bank potentially is higher risk than money in a stable coin. Because the stable coin, if it's backed 100% by cash, it's backed by cash. It's not backed by a promise to pay by a commercial bank. And then the second issue, and I think is equally or probably even more important, if you put your money with any commercial bank, James, you've got no idea where that bank 
whether it be BNP Paribas or Sogen or HSBC or Lloyd's or Goldman's or whoever it is, you've got no idea where they lend that money to. And it could be good, could be bad, but you can't be sure of your ESG credentials. Whereas if you give the money to someone doing treasury management, an asset manager or a bank and say, I only want you to um, put my cash into strong companies that have strong ESG credentials. You can then go to your staff, your shareholders, whoever, and say, we actually keep our cash and it's managed with strong ESG credentials. So a stable coin is not only potentially safer than a bank deposit, but potentially has much stronger ESG credentials. The downside is, is that instead of the bank on deposit earning three or four percent on your cash, they're only earning maybe 0.3, 0.4% because they're providing treasury management. So stable coins potentially are not great for banks, but potentially very attractive for owners and creators of stable coins, especially as we see interest rates starting to rise. And, and that's why I think this ANZ Bank is um, announcement today is really important because it's a topic we've been talking about. Um, we've been working on a few projects um, in the UK and Europe because we see this becoming a much, much bigger issue um, going forward. The payer becomes the payee. Absolutely. But, um, but we, we must remember after the break, um, we, we've got a, we've got a, well, we've got a, a, a sort of an international celebrity. He, he didn't, he start off um, in a bar saying cheers and then he was sleepless in Seattle. Right. And where did he go after that? He went to AM radio. AM radio. As a doctor. Which was in New York City as a doctor. Was it a, yeah, Frasier. Frasier. Not Frisian. Not Frisian. Not, not Fraser with a Z, because that's what he, happens when he has his name on a, on, a, on a coffee, when he goes by a coffee. I think he hangs out now in Portugal. So we got Fraser Edwards from uh, Checked coming up after the break, talking about Web3 and digital identity and self-sovereign identity and why that's really important. So, um, yeah, looking forward to Fraser. Uh, is it Fraser? How do you say Fraser? You say know what's Fraser. ironic? I was, I'm just putting this together now in my mind. So self-sovereign identity and, and all that, and we're making fun of Fraser Crane, right, from Cheers and uh, Fraser. Fraser. But Kelsey Grammer, the actor who plays Fraser Crane, he speaks with what they call, it's called a transatlantic accent. And you, in America, you'd say that guy's British, right? And in Great Britain, you'd probably say that guy's American. Yep. The, ac- the, the transatlantic accent is actually an identity that was created by actors. The accent knows no home. A nomad accent. It's, it's really kind of wild. So when you hear Frasier say, I'm listening. Hello, this is Dr. Frasier Crane. I'm listening. Right? Or, or those other famous... And, but, and that's Kelsey Grammer. As an actor, and apparently other actors do this, they call it the transatlantic accent. Transatlantic. It's a made-up accent of what pure English, pure... That's almost wrong to say, right? Because if anything, mm-hmm. you speak pure English. I speak American English, which is jerky. Down here, mate, they speak Australian English. And they got Australian English down there. I still got yeah, the little, no, how you doing from the, how you doing over there? Pure English is the queen. The rest of us, it, it's a bastardized version, isn't it? That's a good word. It's a bastardized version. So it's just, yeah. I found it funny. It's sovereign identity and, and the identity of Fraser Crane and actors in Hollywood have created this accent that you would never know is a fake accent. 
Oh, please. In your sixth grade production of Oklahoma, you took so many curtain calls, Mrs. Van Raphorst had to lasso you and pull you from the stage. <laughs> that woman never understood me or the role of farmer number three. The transatlantic accent. But, you know, accents are like digital assets. They know no boundaries. They're not constrained by national boundaries. So it all right. ties completely. We're getting good at this, James. It's, I love the fun facts, kind of like the Billy Joel algorithm that we, that we joke about. We talked about it last week. It's just all stupid little fun facts. And they, oh, they, they intervene with each other. What's the algorithm, Johnny? What's the algorithm? I, said, I don't know. I can't spell algorithm. No idea what, what it is for, um, for, for, for you guys. But evidently, you've got a special algorithm which will then dictate the amount of free um, cryptocurrencies that you give away for people that listen to this show and listen to your radio show. So, you know. Right. Like right now, right, we're sitting here talking about Fraser Crane and transatlantic accents before we bring and and there's the z when i say it right but fraser edwards or you probably say it better than i do from checked um (laughs) and i'm sure i I, I joke about that the way that that all interlinks about self-sovereign identity and all of a sudden boom it's needed in crypto actors use it for their fake accents now with cyber fm you had to make money and you have to spend time making that money And we work hard listening to this podcast and earning CyberFM, but we had to protect ourselves so that the the hackers and the gamers couldn't figure out exactly how to, like, get peak CyberFM earnings with a robot or a script or anything like that. We created the Billy Joel algorithm. And we were saying this last week, if you remember, we, we know that the algorithm is so hard to figure out that in four years, I think only one person got half of it. And, wow. we, and we always tell them, you play The Entertainer by Billy Joel, and Billy Joel will tell you, written in 1974, Billy Joel will tell you secretly how much CyberFM you can earn and how often. Well, I think we shouldn't keep dancing around the issue, and we ought to, we ought to have a break, get, get Frasier... Um, you know, Edward's on, not Frasier from, from New York City on after the break. And uh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back after the break. But um, you've been listening to the Digital Byte Show with James Tiley from Cyber.fm and myself, Johnny Fry from Team Blockchain. And we're on the radio every week talking and looking at how, where, and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used, different jurisdictions and different sort of industries all, all over the world. So we'll be, we'll be back, though, after the break. We'll be hoping that you're listening. I'm listening. <laughs> We're listening. <laughs> and earning your cyber.fm crypto, which you can then... you are, I think, are we the only pod, podcast radio show that actually pays people to, to listen? Well, no, because CyberFM has other podcasts. But, yeah, yeah, but this would be the only cryptocurrency podcast. Yeah. That pays the cryptocurrency, that's for sure. Well, well, there you go. That's how, I mean, you got to go big or go home. It's it's all or none. You want to talk about crypto? Fine. You want to get some? You got to do it over here. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. Well, we'll be back after the break and uh, good good talking to you, James. Yep. We'll be back with Checked. What do you think? I think it's borderline sleazy. Let's go for it. (laughs) Hey, Johnny, you and I are back, huh? Another show? And you brought a radio guy? You brought Frasier? I'm listening. Frasier? Who's Frasier? Frasier? Is that no, the proper I, I, way to say it? 
Frasier. Oh, no, no, it was Fraser. Well, I thought that was a T. Wasn't that a TV show back in the eighties? Fraser. Fraser. I'm on radio. I see a guy named Fraser. I'm all excited. <laughs> well, so you should be because I think we've got a we've got a, a man hiding under many cloaks. You know, he, a Fraser, obviously Scottish, which is fantastic, and Edwards, obviously after you know the. A Welsh, you know, a Welshman. Not, not we actually, Fraser. You said you don't do any mining, but you've you've got you've got your own cryptocurrency. You've got your own token. So maybe there was a bit of sort of mining on the side, and you hadn't even realised it. That's very, very true. I really hadn't considered it that that way. Um, really, wasn't a link I'd kind of I made. It certainly made the rugby one, but the the crypto one had completely escaped me. That's a good job. I've I've kind of. I guess uh, come onto the show just to kind of make that link and uh, add it to <laughs> add it to our team's puns that we can start rolling out. So it's not in your white paper. I hope that was pun as well. Oh, it, yeah, it always intended. Right. So uh, James, as you say, we're delighted this week. We're joined by Fraser Edwards, who's CEO and co-founder of a, of a company called Checked C H E Q D. And, and Fraser, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'd love to know. I know you. I think you're ex Accenture. Is, is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so we we started checked in in April of last year. Um, but prior to that, I was working at Accenture for I think it was five or six years. Um, long long enough is probably the the way I term it. And yeah, prior to this was was mostly working on self sovereign identity, which hopefully we'll get into, um, and some central bank digital currency stuff. And before that, a load of biometrics and AI and all the fun technology buzzwords that you hear about in the news. Brilliant. Okay, so. I suppose the first thought I've got to what is self-sovereign identity? You know, what 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 what's all that about? I heard, I've heard of a sovereign Jaguar, and I've heard of the obviously the Queen, she's the sovereign, but um what's what do you mean by self-sovereign identity? Did you say yeah, Jaguar? Again, Jaguar, yeah, Jaguar, not Shaguar, uh, James. I, I know you've got a BMW, but you know, most of the Indians own Jaguar now, don't they? But oh, sorry, they I, I digress. I <laughs> and I am, um, I think it's, I think there was, there were more A's in Jaguar. I think it's Jag. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was the Clarkson <laughs> kind of drag the A out as long as with Jaguar. Now, us three, we love Jags because they're so, they're so roguish. You can take a girl out for dinner if you have a Jag, and then she will pay. You can go and stay with people for the weekend. Help yourself to all their belongings. And no one will mind because you have a... Yeah, don't don't worry about James. Please tell me what this (laughs) sort of identity because we'll never get that otherwise. We'll end up talking about cars because that's that's a topic which is very close to James and my heart. But I'm entirely on board with that. I'll do my best to cover SSI, but um, I'd be more than happy defaulting to the E-type and going through all the various Jags of history. Um, but uh, SSI, um, SSI, it's an interesting term um, because it captures kind of everything and nothing about what it is. So <laughs> it's probably probably best to describe it in in kind of in comparison to the way that the world works now. And one of our team, Alex, uh, has a great kind of analogy for for how people's personal data is used right now. Um, most people out there will kind of know that. There's this concept of surveillance capitalism. If you're not paying for a service, you are the service, you are the product, that kind of stuff. Um, And how everyone's data is kind of collected, siloed, and then sold online. And then Alex's kind of analogy takes that even further and says, like, the world right now, um, it collects your data. And then whenever you want to go and use it, um, you go and have to ask the bouncer at the door for access to your own data. And then he asks you for a secret password, a code word. And you have to make sure you get the right one, because otherwise you don't get to access your own data to go and use it elsewhere, however you want to. And really, self-sovereign identity is, is kind of the entire antithesis of that. So 
Um, it's giving people back the data under their control, kind of giving people back their privacy ultimately, because you, you don't need as much of this data being tracked about you. And I guess to put it shortly, it, it means that you control the data you share, you decide what you receive, what you share, who from and who to. And really, it's, it's about building, I guess, the internet and generally everything around people rather than corporations, um, with the hope of, I guess, eliminating surveillance capitalism is one of the overall goals. But I think really, it's just putting people back in, uh, giving people back control. Okay, so in the, in, the, in the good old days, if you wanted to open up a bank account, or if you wanted to change your utility supplier, you actually had to wander along with a copy of your ID, your passport, your driving license, you know, maybe a copy of a utility bill. And maybe they'd take a photocopy of it. Normally they did. And, and that was kind of it. And that's where it stayed because it got popped away into a filing cabinet. But now we have a situation whereby it's not just your your ID, like your ID card or passport, but whatever you're doing um, seems to be captured. And if you've shared your information or your maybe your CV or maybe, you know, other personal information, you've got no idea has that company that you've given that information what have they done with it and then suddenly you get loads of people trying to market and sell you timeshares or double glazing or or a new bmw and james you fell for that advert i know but there you go so is that what you mean you've got more control over your information and your and who you are Uh, absolutely and more transparency on where it's going and why I would assume that a lot of your listeners are aware that they have a credit score. I'd assume all of them are, hopefully. Um, but probably they, they don't necessarily understand the mechanics of how that's created. And really what's happening there is you've got a third party who is buying or receiving your data from companies that you've interacted with, creating a profile of you entirely without your permission, and then all of your credit history and the ability for you to get new credit cards, loans, move house, get a mortgage um, is all predicated on this profile that someone's built up on you without your permission. And it's really kind of shifting away from that model where um, you're being surveilled, you've got data being captured about you. And actually, the, probably a more day to day one, I imagine like everyone uh, who's listening, I, I buy a lot of stuff online. Um, I use a lot of different websites. And there seems to be a pattern now where they're all making you create an account. So even if I'm buying some random widget from across the world that I know I'll never deal with ever again, I'm still creating an account with my kind of full name, like email address, postal address, potentially even phone number. And I'll never interact with that, that kind of company ever again. So it's kind of really moving away from let's capture as much data, kind of data about people as possible to let's actually use what's needed and kind of allow them to hold that data themselves as well. Okay. But by doing this, are you disempowering then the, you know, the, 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 you know, the fangs, if you like, the Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, the, the Amazons, the, the, the companies that have monetized our data um, so effectively, but in many cases given us, as you say, free services, but we think it's free, but potentially we've paid a price for it then. Exactly. And and I think you're right. It is it is somewhat kind of taking back that control and taking and defanging the fangs, um, <laughs> as we could probably put it. Um, but it's, yeah, I guess I guess kind of um, reducing their power. And I think that to your point, like when 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 we're get, getting these services, we like there are free services and some of them are absolutely incredible. But what's really interesting is they're typically paid for by someone, and whether that's yourself with your privacy or in the case of kind of um, what Apple is doing in the US now with driving licenses, actually all of that cost is being borne by the state. 
Um, so it's actually being paid for by by personal taxes. Um, so it's still kind of lining Apple's coffers. It's just doing it in a different way. One of the downsides of these experiences is even though they appear seamless, they're typically behind a username and password. And all of that kind of that infrastructure needing to have authentication or certainly so many usernames and passwords is down to companies collecting that data. Um, if there's a boss, if there's the ability to kind of prove who you are to a strong degree every time you interact with someone in a very seamless way, I think we'd all choose that if it was a case of um, we don't need to enter any passwords anymore. We don't need to kind of go through the rigmarole necessarily of biometrics every time. That I think the, the big difference, uh, like myself and Anger, who've worked in SSI for, for a while, um, we've both had uh, SSI, self-sovereign ID demos on our phones, um, and they're a game changer. Um, as soon as you've had that kind of experience in your in your wallet and on your phone, you really can't go back to having to enter kind of 20 or passwords a day. It really becomes painful. So it's, um, to your point about kind of great services, they, they definitely are. I think our argument would be you could make those services even better with self-sovereign identity. Okay, so so I I use I use a phone that does facial recognition. So instead of having to put passwords in or even a f- fingerprint or whatever, it it, it recognises my face. Um, unfortunately for the phone, but there you go. Uh, and getting into websites or signing into other, you know, it says use your you know use your sort of ID, um, whichever manufacturer phone it may well be. Is is that a form of self-sovereign identity? Because providing it's my face next to the phone, then I start getting access to websites or my bank account or you know, my trading account, is, is, is that the sort of thing you mean? Or are you taking it one step further? Uh, it's probably one step further. Um, although it's, it's, it's a pretty decent parallel because what's happening there is the passwords are being stored to your phone. And what you're then doing is using the biometrics to kind of, what they do is they pull the right password from uh, whether it's like the inbuilt keychain on Apple or whether it's like LastPass, OnePassword, that kind of thing. Um, and then enters that to, to log you in. So from a... I guess from a an SSI perspective, kind of the passwords are being stored in an SSI perspective. They're on your device, they're under your control, they're not being kind of stored off to a third party. You kind of have control, edit, and access of them. Um, I think where SSI really shifted is it says rather than you having to use your password to go and access your data, like a credit file, you would actually hold that yourself. Um, it moves, it kind of moves it much more backwards towards um, the example you gave around walking into a branch and using your passport. And in paper world, you basically take your documents wherever you want, you use them however you want. And after that document's been issued, no one can really trace where you're using that document. The UK government, whilst they've got kind of surveillance and, and all that kind of jazz, if you go and use your passport to open up a bank account, they have no reason to know about it and they probably won't. On the other hand, a lot of interactions um, in the digital world really do follow you around. Obviously, the famous ones are Google and, and Facebook, where if you happen to use Facebook or if, even if the, the page has a Facebook uh, login button, that can begin to track you as you move around the site. Um, and it's, so it's really moving to your point, I guess, originally, like the passwords in that scenario really are kind of they're in a bit of an SSI paradigm, um, but really your data is still under lock and key and with someone else. Okay, so in in your article, which you it, it was called Web three and digital identity, so we, we've we've kind of looked at the digital identity in terms of the sort of self sovereign and having your having your identity in a digital format which you can then share online. Well, can you can you just walk us through? how you would explain you know what's web two what's web three 
Um, I know, James, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's, it's always interesting to hear other people's perspective, how they, how would you describe it for sort of perhaps the, for, you know, for someone that's not quite such to speak with these sort of terminologies? Oh, I've seen loads of good diagrams for this, but they really don't translate onto radio, do they? Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd say, I'd say probably the, one of the big differences between Web 2 and Web 3 is, is the ownership. And obviously SSI is a version where you own your data, but one of the, one of the kind of maxims of Web3 is that kind of those who are really contributing to the system in some format or to the value of, of a system in some format are the ones who are primarily reward, rewarded. Probably a great example would be YouTube and Twitter would be very much considered like Web2 companies as they currently stand. Um, Twitter is probably one of the rare companies that is making moves to potentially cannibalize itself into Web3. But they're very much like all the value that's created. Yes, some goes out to the creators, um, but there are very good reasons why uh, sites like Patreon and others have sprung up because the, the reality is those platforms are rewarding the owners so so google alphabet but they're really not rewarding the creators the people who actually make the the platform what it is the kind of web3 shift is that actually those people should be rewarded much more um, and they should have more ownership of kind of the underlying infrastructure um, they should have kind of control of where that's going and they should be rewarded for participation um, so really it's it's kind of a movement to to decentralization but then you've kind of got wrapped up in in this also kind of AR, VR and kind of the metaverse and gaming. So you've almost got this, these two movements. One is very much towards decentralization and more, I guess, diffuse ownership. And then the other one is very much more into kind of moving into digital realms, digital art, NFTs, like purely online content creation um, and very much shifting into AR and VR. So I'd probably describe, like, I'd lump those two as kind of Web3, um, but that would probably the, be the way that I'd mainly describe kind of that, I guess, that split between Web2 and Web3. Okay, and, and the importance of having some understanding that there is a difference in Web2 and Web3 is that certainly with a self-sovereign identity, it, it, it's, um, it's a bit like a ticket to ride. It gives you the ability to, to be engaged much more with Web3-type protocols, and you can be then part of that digital community and be rewarded your engagement uh, i suppose that's one way of possibly looking at it yeah that, yeah I, th I think that's a great way and, and i think um one of the examples i've seen is and this very much comes from um the kind of the kind of crypto world of there's a big movement of hold your own keys and the logic there is that if you're using a centralized exchange and you don't own your own keys then actually it's the exchange who owns those tokens, those digital assets and NFTs, whatever it is. So there's there's kind of inside crypto, there's already been that movement of if you don't have control over it, it's it's not really yours. I guess the, the same, obviously there's legal kind of um, structures in place, but it would be a similar argument for, for bank accounts and what happened in Canada recently, where obviously <laughs> everyone, ha um, they had their money in accounts. Yep. They were involved in protests for, for right or for wrong. And that some of them had their money for like accounts frozen. The argument there is like, yes, you've you've got control, you've got access to that account, but actually there's nothing to stop anyone freezing it. And I think kind of the SSI movement is following that same logic, but for identity. Um, it's 
in one way, it's bringing it much closer to kind of, I guess, pre-web where you've got physical documents that you can use without being surveilled, um, but at the same time, moving it into a, a kind of digital format and massively extending it. Um, it's probably worth me just taking like a minute here to explain that whilst we keep on talking about like passports and driving licenses and like really high assurance stuff, mm-hmm. um, you can also like this data could be anything. It could be anything from an avatar in a game. It could be your experience or your reputation in that game. It could be a receipt for something that you bought that's just worth having a value of. And all of that kind of data should be should be with you under your control. Um, and that's yeah, that's probably the real shift is is that ownership. Right. Right. So so basically, as you say, it's quite interesting. If you think it through listening to you there, we, we're almost going back to where we started in the sense that. Uh, you know own, typically most people you know they don't leave their driving license you know lying around or their national identity card or, or their passport um you know they, they tend to keep that fairly close to them you know not normally it's locked up in your in your house somewhere i suspect whereas we've gone to a situation now where we seem to just you know click accept all copies yep here's my name address here's my mother's maiden name and inside leg measurement and you know who knows what and and people have realized that perhaps some of that data has been possibly exploited but certainly monetized and they haven't had the benefit um albeit they've had perhaps free searches or free information or free accounts to upload pictures or what have you but that's a different story and what we're now going back to is no i want to take control back and i want to share my information with the people that i want to share it with when i want to share it and for how long and that's kind of the sort of behind self-sovereign identity and that's linked into this new development of this web three is that is that a way to summarize it then i completely agree um and i think the well i mean not many people normally do that so that, that's <laughs> it, it must have been listening to you you made a friend obviously a scottish dulcet tones i really understood it this time <laughs> um i i think the um Oh God, you've you've charmed me into into speechlessness. <laughs> well, no, maybe, maybe, say... maybe maybe your Welsh mining terms. Maybe you're going back and you sort of you've got a canoe <laughs> in, the, in the in your bedroom or whatever. Oh, just uh, well, I'm originally from the northeast, so maybe I'll just uh, just move in Boy, to amen. kind of proper yeah proper Geordie. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, go down the whole Brian Johnson ACDC <laughs> kind of twang. But the oh, sorry, that was what I was going to say. It was around kind of. Um, I think it's more getting to a point where. Sorry, I guess where we hope it's going to get to a point is where you basically have the choice. Um, So there are going to be situations where centralised just works. I've been for a long time attempting to use DuckDuckGo and other search engines. And the reality is they are just not as good as Google. Um, I dislike that, but it's just reality. Um, On the other side, there's definitely like the movement to have your own data and stop kind of, I, I am, there's a statistic somewhere that is, the average person has about 200 um, user accounts, online accounts that they have um, over a lifetime. I reckon I've done that just this year um, or certainly in the last 12 months. Um, So I'm probably well over double that across a lifetime. And I'd really like to stop because it's, um, one, I'm kind of spreading data all over the place, like you said, but it's it's also just not a pleasant experience. Um, and I've started kind of actively avoiding websites that are forcing me into creating accounts because, yeah, it's just unnecessary. Um, so anyway, that was a long ramble to say there's probably we definitely still need choice. Um, it's never going to be one or the other. Um, but I think it's very much getting back to having that choice rather than kind of being locked into sometimes quite nice walled gardens. 
James, what any what what springs to mind as we've been rumbling on? Well, with the last statement he just made. Every time my birthday comes around, I get these automated birthday wishes from websites that I I was on in like nineteen ninety eight. Like the craziest car websites or something. Like happy forty sixth birthday, James. And I go, Oh my god, I was twenty two. They they really retain your data. Wow, for decades. that's okay. That's slightly terrifying. I've I've uh, thankfully not hit the age yet where I've got data that's been hanging around twenty years, but um, yeah, I think that shows exactly how long this stuff is hidden away. Well, yeah, I was like, oh my well, god, I sold that car in old one. Well, the trouble is, James, you're a bit, you know, you're a bit like the Queen. You, you have two birthdays, I suspect, don't you? So she gets two lots of mail shots. Oh, could you imagine? And she's been around a hundred years. <laughs> MySpace yeah, you know, is still emailing her. She has two birthdays, though, James. She has two birthdays. She has a normal birthday, like we all know she's born. And then she has a sort of her royal birthday. So she, she, you know, she must get so many mail shots from people trying to sell another corgi or pet food or, or you know, how, never, how to keep I've never heard of that. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah she, she has two birthdays. Uh, two birthdays. Well, I thought a man, man of your general caliber would have at least two birthdays, James. Perhaps you need to have a word with the missus and get that sorted out. She can give you two for two for one at Christmas or something. A twofer. That sounds dirty. Twofer. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> okay. Well, look, Fraser, um, really, really interesting. You, you really have, I think, really enunciated and explained what self-sovereign identity is all about, although we've tried our best to sort of throw you off track. So thank you very, very much for being patient and humorous. But um, no, I think it's really, you know, joking apart, what, what, what it seems to me, what, what you're able to do here is, your company checked is very much trying to give people the choice. You know, some people may be very happy carrying on with the current status quo, whereas other people who are saying, no, 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 I, I do want to take control back of my information, my data. I do want to be able to engage in, uh, in as we're seeing, you know, you touched on the metaverse there and we mentioned things like NFTs and, and having self-sovereign identity enables you to perhaps interact and deal um, in a more controlled aspect. So uh, it's something which is, it's just got to grow and grow, but uh, um, no, it's really good. And I, I know the business isn't that old. Um, you know, we've done a few bits and pieces with you. Regular um, readers of Digital Bytes will, will, will know that you've run a series of articles because it's something we, we at Digital Bytes think it's really important, the, st- the stuff you're doing. So we're going to watch with interest how you get on. And um, I know you've got a fundraiser coming up later this year. So hopefully we'll hear a bit more information about that. But um, if people want to get hold of you, Fraser, what's the best way? Sort of LinkedIn or just presumably your website? Was it checked? C-H-E-Q-D? It is .io, um, or just uh, find me on Twitter. Um, so I'm Fraser underscore again, um, given that a perfect example of accounts. I forgot my last pa- last password, and now I'm unable to take control of that account anymore. It's disappeared off into the ether. Um, so Fraser underscore again, um, or kind of find our, uh, our website, like you were saying, a C-H-E-Q-D, because we couldn't find checked with the normal spelling that was available on the domain. Um, and just drop us a note. Um, like me. <laughs> I keep looking at well, that, you thinking, you know, where's the U gone? Or that would K. have been a much better, um, well, exactly. Or, yeah, that would have been a much better excuse. No um, as, it, as it was, it was just, uh, what was the shortest domain that we could get that was available and st- still sounded like a real world, real word. <laughs> Real world. Oh, brilliant. Well, th- well, 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 congratulations. It's certainly memorable. All right. Well, James, thanks very much again for getting things sorted out and organised this week. And we'll be back on the, the airwaves next week with a new edition of Digital Byte Show and, and a new guest. So until then, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Cyber.fm. And if you would like a copy of this week's Digital Bytes and 
um, a, a copy of uh, Fraser Edwards from uh, Checked.io. If you'd like a copy of the article, then please contact either uh, James at Cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry. Both of us are on LinkedIn. And we'll be back on the airwaves this time next week. All the best. Hey, will we bring Fraser back on in the future? It's I want him to Frasier. study that. You sound like that you've got song. It's Fraser. Fra- Poor I'm, man. Hey, listen, like oh, I'll... They put Zeds in his <laughs> I'm over here in New York, oh, all right? It's Fraser. Fraser. I'll, I'll forgive you, James. And yeah, I've, def- I've definitely had no. I'm trying to think of the strangest pronunciation I've had so far. I think probably Fraser is probably one of the worst ones. I'm sure I've had worse though. I just can't remember them. Or Fraser, <laughs> Star Trekies. Freezer, yeah, that was definitely. Uh, I mean, that, that's when that's when you're getting back to kind of um, teenage years and and school children. But yeah, definitely Freezer, Fraser. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's been more. They'll come back to me later on when I'm kind of in the shower. Classic case. We're gonna trigger his childhood bullies <laughs> only on Cyber.fm. <laughs> <laughs> bringing the bully back to life but there you go. all right guys okay guys thanks very much oh, it's been a pleasure thank you hey baby i hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs quite stylish and maybe i seem a bit confused yeah maybe but i got you pegged <laughs> but i don't know what to do with those toss salads and scrambled eggs Calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Frazier has left the building.